beginning a study on uh, the second half of, of Luke chapter 17. Uh, this morning I'm going to, to go from I'm going to go from uh, verse 20 to verse 25, and then next week, Lord willing, from 26 to 37. But I'll read the whole passage. Luke, uh, Luke chapter 17, verses 20 to 37. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look there, or look here. Do not go out and follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will be the Son of Man in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who was on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who was in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, on that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? He said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. This is the word of the Lord. May he write his eternal truths upon our hearts for his glory and for the building of his church. You may be seated. And let's pray again together. King of kings and Lord of lords. We bow before you in obeisance. We bow before you in worship. We would ask that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would reveal your kingship to us. We pray, Lord, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would reveal the kingdom to us in its fullness. Lord, help us to see the the. the inauguration of the kingdom with the incarnation of Christ. Help us to see, Lord, the ways that our Lord Jesus came to to, to lay down the kingdom and to lay down his life for the establishment of the kingdom. We pray, Lord, that from your word you'll help us to see the glory of your coming kingdom. Help us, Lord, to to anticipate and to to rejoice in what is yet to come. Lord, help us, I pray, as we we deal with something that's a little bit complicated, help us to see the already and not yet. 
Help us, Lord, to be grounded in the already and hopeful in the not yet. We pray this in the matchless name of our King, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, as we look out the windows and, and see, see the smoke out there, I think it looks, it looks very apocalyptic. And it is, in a sense, apocalyptic. But what we see happening is that, that people look at things like the smoke, and they look at, at things like COVID, either the disease or that the government controls, and they conclude that this is the end. You see, the word apocalypse is a word that is, is a Greek word that's actually transliterated, and, and we, can't, we look at that mean, to, to mean the time of the end. But it's really, the, it's the word that's translated revelation. The word apocalypse is revelation. And the revelation of revelation is not the revelation of the apocalypse in the, in the sense that, that we understand the word, but it's the revelation of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ, of the, the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation is the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. So when people look around and they, they see what's taking place in our culture, they say, this is a sign of the end. In one sense, it is. But does it mean that the end, as in the, the, the final consummation of all things, is imminent? Does that mean it, is, it's, it, it could happen immediately? It might. But many people are, are wrong-headed in their approach to end times prophecy. And they, they, they really look at, at, at prophecy with, with a Bible in one hand and, and the newspaper in the other. Reading everything that's taking place into the end. I, that was me. I, I was, I was, I've talked about this before, but when I was a, a new Christian, I was hooked on Jack Van Impey. And I would tune in every week as, as Jack Van Impey and his wife Rexella would, would talk about about end times and everything that was happening in the world related to something that was in the book of Revelation. And I remember a very clear theme with, with Jack Van Ippi and Rexella was that, was, was that the Roman Catholic Church is, 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 the, is the, 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 the whore of Babylon and the, the, the false church is the Roman Catholic Church. Well, I guess Jack Van Ippi has turned and changed his mind because he now is a Roman Catholic. But with that approach to, to view the, to, to view everything like that as, as a sign is, is really wrong-headed. And it's really missing the ultimate point of, of why we, we look at prophecy, the ultimate point of, of why the book of Revelation is there in the scriptures. We are living in the end times. But we've been living in the end times for 2,000 years. Again, many people get, get bogged down in studying the end times and forget that Christ is the end. Remember, he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. People get wrapped up, wrapped up in eschatological systems and forget that Christ is the eschaton. That's what the end means. He is the, the eschaton. All things point to him. Christ is the end. Christ is the goal. Christ is the purpose of all creation. 
Like the Pharisees in, in Luke 11, they, they, they seek signs, but ignore who and what the signs point to. They claim to be looking for the kingdom of God, but they reject the king. The kingdom of God is one of the most important themes in the scriptures. The kingdom of God is, is God's reign and God's rule. The kingdom of God is the point to which the whole Bible moves. The, the kingdom of God is the point to which all of history moves. But you cannot separate the kingdom from the king. One of the clearest proclamations of the king and his kingdom is in, in the Old Testament is found on the lips of, of Nebuchadnezzar, a formerly pagan Babylonian king, where he refers to, to the, the dominion of the king as an everlasting dominion, a kingdom that endures from generation to generation, Daniel 4.34. And this prophecy is repeated by Daniel in, in Daniel 7.13 and 14, where now hear this, one like the son of man came to the ancient of days and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting kingdom which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So to see what, what Daniel's prophesying here. Daniel is prophesying that the Son of Man is being given an everlasting kingdom. Similarly, in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, this is a... a this is a verse that the people often focus on at, at Christmas time for the first advent, but it's actually really a prophecy of the second advent of the return of Christ. Isaiah six, sorry, Isaiah nine, six and seven. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government should be upon his shoulders. His name should be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Hear this, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will, be sh there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, he is to establish and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth forevermore. For the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And so, so yes, the first incarnation of Christ, of the, the king, is there, but it is more focused on the return of Christ, the consummation of the kingdom. Again, notice the statement about the, the throne of David and his kingdom. And as I explained to the children, the Davidic kingdom and the Davidic kingship of David is a type. It's a picture that points to Christ and to his kingdom. So we know that the covenant promises to David find their fulfillment in Christ. This theme continues in the Psalms and with Psalms like uh, Psalm 103, verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Or Psalm 105, verse 13. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. But when we get to the, to the New Testament and to the Gospels, the kingdom of God becomes even more prominent. And Luke alone, the kingdom of God is mentioned directly 32 times. 
We've been seeing the major focus on the, the kingdom of God throughout Luke's gospel account right from the, from the beginning, as we saw in Gabriel's promise to Mary, Luke 1, 31 to 33. And behold, you shall conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and we call the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will rule and reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Jesus himself declares in Luke uh, 4.43 that, that he must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. He says, for I was sent for this purpose. And in Luke 9.2, we, we see Jesus sending out, out his disciples to do the same thing, to preach the kingdom of God. In Luke 11.20, Jesus says that, that he casts out demons by the finger of God so that they can know that the finger of God has come up, sort of that the kingdom of God has come upon them. We see the same thing in our passage this morning in Luke 17, 21. That as the Pharisees ask Jesus when the kingdom would come, he tells them the kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom is here because the king is here. Yet in the next section in our passage, Jesus says that the kingdom is not yet here. Similarly, he taught the disciples to, to pray in the, the Lord's Prayer, the, the pattern prayer, Luke 11.2, to pray, your kingdom come. So the kingdom is already here, but we're told to pray for the coming of the kingdom. So then the kingdom is here, and the kingdom isn't here. The kingdom is here, and the kingdom is not yet. God's kingdom came, and God's kingdom will come. Sigmund Mowinkle's definition of eschatology is pretty much the standard. Eschatology is a doctrine or complex of ideas about the last things. And, and most people, when they, they think of, of eschatology, that's, that's what they're thinking about. They're thinking about last things. However, I believe that, that Adrio Koenig's, Adrio Koenig better presents the biblical reality. He says the tendency is to confine eschatology to the future, but the entire history of Christ is discussed in radically eschatological terms. What he's saying here is that, that the whole ministry of Christ is eschatological. The, the whole ministry of Christ from his, his incarnation to his return is all about him. It's all about, it's all about Christ as the end or the goal. The purpose of the kingdom. Similarly, Walter Kaiser explains that, that the last days embraces the entire period that extends from the advent of our Lord's coming all the way up to and including the second advent when he will come again. In this, way, in this way, we can see what is meant by inaugurated eschatology. Inaugurated eschatology. So it's, it's been inaugurated, but, but it's not yet been consummated. He says that there is a, a, both a now fulfillment in the present time and a not yet fulfillment that awaits a distant future. Are you confused or are you tracking with me on this? Again, this is, this is a, a complex theme, and, and I can understand. This is, I spent a lot of time studying and try, trying to find a way to, ex, to explain this in a way that, that we can understand. 
Let me just read two more clear passages that, that highlight the principle. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to us by our fathers, to, uh, to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, is spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he, have also, he, he also created the world. So do you see that? In these last days, now, for the writer of Hebrews and now for us, God has spoken to us by his son. We're in the last days. And we've been in the last days for 2,000 years. Similarly, uh, 1 Peter 1.20, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. So here again, we have this reference to the, the last times referring to something that is, is already in place. It's been in place for, for 2,000 years. So do you see that? Do you see that that already 2,000 years ago, both Peter and the writer of Hebrews speak of the revelation through Jesus Christ in the last days being now? In the same way in our passage this morning, Jesus is teaching that the kingdom is now. The kingdom is already here. But Jesus is also teaching that the kingdom is not yet. In verses 20 to 25, Jesus reveals the presence of the kingdom and the promise of the kingdom. That's our focus this morning, the presence of the kingdom and the promise of the kingdom. And first of all, in verses 20 to 21, he speaks of the present fulfillment. And then in 22 to 25, he speaks of the future fulfillment. And then next week, Lord willing, we'll see in verses 26 to 37 that Jesus is giving a warning of judgment in the kingdom. Now, not, although not, ready, not, fully the, not really the kingdom, in verses 26 to 30, Jesus speaks of past judgment. And in verses 31 to 37, he speaks of future judgment. So we see this, this past, present, past, future Parallel here. So, so first of all, verses 20 to 25, that the presence and the promise of the kingdom. Again, first of all, in verses 20 to 21, we see the present fulfillment of the kingdom. Once again, we, we see a shift from the previous passage, although the, the same, the, the same issues are, are still in play. Luke is still on the, presenting the same theme here as Jesus is approached once again by the Pharisees. And the Pharisees asked Jesus when the kingdom of God would come. Remember, the Pharisees had been witness to to many of Jesus' miracles. They had heard his teaching. He had told them explicitly that the kingdom of God had come upon them. We saw that in, in Luke 11. But they aren't convinced. The Pharisees don't believe Jesus. And they are continuing to reject Jesus. They're continuing to challenge Jesus. The Pharisees and much of Judaism believed that the kingdom would arrive clearly and powerfully with heavenly signs. That's true. They they weren't wrong in this. The the kingdom will be fulfilled with, with heavenly signs. But there was another set of signs that Jesus displayed that revealed the presence of the kingdom. Not in its fulfillment, but in its establishment. 
Jesus told them in verse 20, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. You couldn't just, just observe these things and, and, and figure it out on your own what they really meant. In focusing on future signs, the Pharisees missed the present signs. They, they, again, they were like, like many in our day who, who get caught up looking for signs that, that come from, more from a, a left-behind novel than they do from the Word of God. So these signs that Jesus displayed, that the healing of the blind and lepers and, and so on, although they are were, powerful and they are glorious signs, they're quite distinct from what the Pharisees were looking for. And so the kingdom's advance would, would remain hidden from the eyes of most. Even the nine lepers who personally experienced this sign of the kingdom of God, they, they were healed themselves. Even they missed the kingdom completely. Only one of those lepers actually saw the kingdom and entered into the kingdom. Even John the Baptist had wondered. Remember that, that he had sent his disciples to ask Jesus if he was the one that they're look, to look for, there should be another. Jesus replied, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus points the disciples of John and John to the signs of the kingdom that in his first incarnation he had displayed. Jesus was revealing that he is the Christ. He is the one who is anointed by the Spirit of God to, again, to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is his mandate, Luke 4, 18 and 19. Jesus was fulfilling his mission. The king was establishing his kingdom. But most didn't get it. Verse 21. No, they say, look, here it is, or, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Now, some translations say here that the kingdom of God is within you, and, and I don't think that that's correct because, because the, the New Testament does not speak in terms of the kingdom of God being, in, being internal. We enter the kingdom. The kingdom doesn't enter us. Furthermore, remember that Jesus is speaking to Pharisees here. And the kingdom is certainly not within the Pharisees. If it could be within anyone, it's not within them. Jesus' mandate was to establish the kingdom of God. But the Pharisees rejected it, and they rejected him. Jesus came to establish the kingdom, and it, it was advancing powerfully. The kingdom was advancing but imperceptibly to those who would not believe. We saw this, remember, back in Luke chapter 13, 18 to 21, with the, the parables of the, the mustard seed and the yeast. A tiny mustard seed, Jesus says, is, is like the kingdom. It turns into a big tree. Or yeast hidden in flour spreads all through the dough. All, both of them have a powerful impact despite being seemingly, despite their seemingly insignificant beginning. Jesus is describing the pervasive and the 
permeating advance of the kingdom as it spreads through the nations and through the lives of all true believers. And again, the, Jesus had just displayed a very powerful sign of the kingdom as he had healed the ten lepers. But again, only one of them was, was cleansed and saved. Presumably, presumably the Pharisees were there and they, they witnessed that for themselves. They hadn't seen that miracle. They'd seen many, many others that Jesus, where Jesus displayed that he is the king. But the Pharisees remained unconvinced. No matter how many healings, no matter how spectacular the miracles, no matter how clear and powerful the preaching of Jesus, nothing Jesus could say, nothing Jesus could do could convince the Pharisees that he was the Christ, and that they must turn to him in faith and repentance. Nothing could convince them that the kingdom had arrived and that the king was right there in front of them because of the hardness of their hearts. They needed to be born again. They needed to be regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit. As, as Jesus said to Nicodemus, the teacher of the Pharisees in John 3.3, 3, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot even, even see the kingdom of God, let alone enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And, and John goes on, or Jesus rather goes on to explain to Nicodemus that this, this process of being born again or regenerated is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Whereby the Holy Spirit takes out a, a stony, rebellious heart and, and gives the regenerate person, a, a new heart. The Pharisees were not born again, and so the Pharisees could not see the kingdom of God. They couldn't see the kingdom of God, and they, they couldn't see the king, even though the king was standing right there in front of them. Early church father, Origen of, of Alexandria, in describing Jesus and the kingdom, coined the Latin word autobasilia. Autobasilia, which means essentially that the kingdom in person or the kingdom personified. Paraphrasing origin. If Jesus Christ be likened to such a king and the one who does such things, who must we say that he is but the son of God? For he is the king of heaven, of the heavens. And he is wisdom personified and righteousness personified and truth personified. Is he not also himself the kingdom personified? Friends, the king has come. And so the kingdom has come. And to those who are here as, as unbelievers, the, the, the king is here. He's, it, he, he's not in your midst personally, but he's here in the Christians who are sitting around you. The, the kingdom of God is in your midst. The king, Jesus, might not be in front of you, but his people are. So do you recognize the kingdom being visible in other believers. And the, the question that comes from that, are you in the kingdom? Are you part of the kingdom of God? 
So that, that's the present fulfillment. This is, this is true now, as true as it was true in the, the days that Jesus walked on the earth, that it has remained true for the past 2,000 years. That the king came and, and established his kingdom, inaugurated his kingdom by taking on human flesh. Truly God, truly man, that the God-man, Jesus Christ, is the already of the kingdom. That's, that's the present fulfillment. That's the, the already part. But now let's consider the not yet. Verses 25, 22 to 25, the future fulfillment of the kingdom. Jesus now turns to his disciples and says, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. So you see, he says, it begins here, that the time is coming. Jesus is shifting from the present to a focus on the future. But he's still speaking about the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus means when he refers to the days of the Son of Man. As we saw in Daniel 7, 13 and 14, the, the Son of Man is the, the heavenly figure who approaches the Ancient of Days and is given authority and dominion over the kingdom of God for all eternity. Here we, we tend to think of, of Son of Man as, as referring to, to Jesus' humanity, but it's actually not. It's referring to his, to his, his divinity. And Jesus refers to himself in, in Luke's Gospel account for 25 times as the Son of Man. There is no doubt that the Daniel 7, and, and Daniel 4 for that matter, is, is speaking of Jesus Christ. He is the Son of Man. Jesus Christ says that the, the days of the Son of Man are coming. And he's, he's now shifted to, to refer to a, a future time, to that which is, which is coming. Well, then the question comes, well, what are the days of the Son of Man? These days are coming. Jesus uses the, this exact term again, the days of the Son of Man, in verse 26. Okay, and speaking of a future time, and the singular in verse 24, that the Son of Man in his day, and in verse 30, the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Again, this is a future time. The days of the Son of, of Man refers to a future time when we'll see the, the consummation of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom will be fully and completely realized. It refers to, to the return of Jesus Christ and the, the full manifestation of his glory. Now Jesus is saying when he said earlier that the, the kingdom of God is in their midst, isn't, doesn't mean that the kingdom isn't fully here. Okay, the, the kingdom is, was fully here with the incarnation of Christ, but but it's not here yet in its glorious fullness. So then the kingdom is, is already here, but not yet here. The kingdom has been established, but not yet fulfilled. And Jesus says that the disciples would desire to see that day. The desires would, would struggle. They would suffer. They would long to see King Jesus glorified in his kingdom, but they wouldn't see it. 
every one of the apostles would be martyred, except for John, and he was exiled to Patmos. The last words that, that John records for us in the book of Revelation, God's last words to us in the Holy Scriptures. Revelation 20, 20 and 21. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Now, now the Lord is saying here that, that behold, I'm coming soon. From an eternal perspective, Christ is coming soon. But, but for us, it feels like an eternity. For a child, the, the last month before Christmas seems to take forever. For those of us who have a, a lot more Christmases behind us, time seems to, to move more quickly, doesn't it? Like the months just, just fly by. But in the midst of suffering and trials, the clock seems to crawl to a standstill, doesn't it? Hours on the sickbed drag on like days. Minutes for the grieving heart feel like hours. And seconds for the suffering saints feel like years. Even the martyred saints long for the day of the Lord as they cry out before the throne, O oh, sovereign Lord, how long? Maybe that's your cry as you see the sin in the world. Maybe that's your, your cry as you, you see our culture engage in high-handed rebellion against God. You see the mistreatment, imprisonment, torture and murder of Christians in, in many other countries. You see the slaughter of babies in the womb. You see the celebration of immorality. You see the effects of sin and disease and death. So you see sin in society and you see even your own sin and so you cry out, how long, O Lord? really makes sense why, why suffering people would look for a clear sign that the end is soon. Suffering people long for relief. I get that. I know that, that during times of suffering in my own life, I've, I've been acutely aware of my desire for the return of the Lord. But here's the thing. If I'm honest with myself, I have to admit that on some level, in those moments, it hasn't been primarily because of a desire to see Christ and to see Christ vindicated, but rather for my trials to come to an end. Is that you? Do you long to see Christ or do you long to see your trials come to an end? Now, we should be longing for the return of the Lord. We should be looking for the return of the Lord. We should be praying for the return of the Lord. But we should also be seeking the return of the Lord ultimately for the glory of the Lord. 
Brothers and sisters, your suffering will end. Your suffering will end in the day of the Lord. Your suffering will end when you see Jesus. But the blessing of seeing your Savior face to face will immeasurably surpass relief from even the worst trials. It's no coincidence that that in hard times, cults spring up like weeds on a barren patch of lawn. These cults are are centered around false teachers, many of whom predict a specific day for the return of the Lord. Some will even say that he's already come. And then when it doesn't happen, then they have to to shift their calendars. They they keep moving the goalposts down the road. People follow in their wicked footsteps. But Jesus is warning the disciples, even suffering disciples, not to be deceived. Verse 23. And they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out and follow them. If somebody tells you that Christ has returned, he hasn't. If somebody has to tell you that that Christ has returned, Christ hasn't really returned. Because when Christ does return, it will be obvious to everybody. Nobody's going to have to tell anybody that Christ has returned. Everybody is going to know. His return is going to be obvious to all. So Jesus continues in verse 24, For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will be the Son of Man in his day. Now I love lightning storms, not at the moment with the fire risk, but I really enjoy thunderstorms. In fact, when I lived in it, I've lived in a couple of places that really had quite spectacular thunderstorms. The area that I lived in Australia had amazing thunderstorms, and quite often... In the early afternoon, just as, as when I was a teacher, the kid, just as the kids were getting out of school, these, these thunderstorms would hit. But I remember clearly there was there was there was one Saturday. And I, this is foolish, I realize, but I would I would take the dog out for a rain in a thunderstorm because I just wanted to, I wanted to see the full sky with nothing impeding my view. And I remember so clearly this 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 again. It was very foolish, but but this one time. A lightning bolt landed, and it was the, the thunder and the lightning were simultaneous. That, that lightning was very close. Like, it, it was right there. And the dog was the smart one between. She took off and ran for home. I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe I should actually go home too. But it was, it was that close. And, and it, was, it was broad daylight. But it was, the lightning was way brighter than the sky. Now imagine that at night. Imagine you're, you're at night, you're in the pitch black. And you see a, a lightning bolt that, that stretches from, from one side of the sky all the way to the other. Not just for you, but, but visible to the whole city. And not just for your city, but, but all the way around the world. That the brightness of that would, I realize it wouldn't be night on the other side of the world, but... but so the, the, the brightness of that lightning bolt would burn into your retinas. 
so will be the coming of the Son of Man. The brightness of appearing will be plain to all. There is no hiding the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. There is no hiding the arrival of the king. There's no hiding from the arrival of the king. We'll talk about that more next week. You can only imagine what that day is going to be like. I do imagine. I think about this day a lot. Matthew goes into a lot more detail in the parallel in, in Matthew 24, 29 to 31. Let's just turn there for a moment. Wait a minute, let me read it for us. Matthew 24, 29 to 31. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He'll send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they'll gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Isn't that glorious? If you're on the right side of the return of the Lord, if you're, if you're a, a follower of the king, if you're bowing to the king, this, this would be a glorious moment. A glorious moment that's going to continue for all eternity. But I shudder to think of what it will be like for those who are enemies of the king and will experience his glory, but from a far different perspective. Don't you long, brothers and sisters, don't you long for the day of the Lord? Don't you long for his glory to be revealed? The first disciples did, and disciples still do today. They had to wait. And we have to wait as well. It might not be long. We still wait. Jesus told the, the disciples in verse 25, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Prior to his day, the, the king must suffer and be rejected. Once again, Jerusalem and the crucifixion are, are there on the horizon. Jesus had told his disciples repeatedly that this is coming. It must come. This was God's plan from eternity past. To Acts 4, 27 and 28. For, for truly in the city they were gathered together against you, sorry, against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your plan had predestined to take place. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, was not God's plan B. This was his plan from eternity past. And his plans must come to pass. Listen to J.C. Ryle. As he thinks about, again, tries to explain this, the sense of the, the already and the not yet. He says that there are two personal comings of Christ revealed to us in Scripture. He was appointed to come the first time in weakness and humiliation, to suffer and to die. He was appointed the second time 
to come in power and great glory to, to put down all of his enemies under his feet and to reign. So to see these two comings of Christ distinctly is of great importance to a right understanding of Scripture. He says that the, the disciples and all the Jews of our Lord's time uh, appear to have seen only one personal advent. They expected a Messiah who would come to reign, but not one who would come to suffer. The Pharisees expected the, the Messiah to come and to reign, but they did not expect him to suffer. They had been selective in their reading of Old Testament prophecy. Ralph continues, The majority of Christians in like manner appear to see only one personal advent. They believe that Christ came the first time to suffer. But they seem to be unable to understand that Christ is coming a second time to reign. He says both parties have got hold of the truth, but neither unhappily has embraced the whole truth. Both are more or less in error, and the Christian's error is only second importance in importance to that of the Jew. Brothers and sisters, do you live your life as though the, the first incarnation of Christ is the only incarnation of Christ? Do you spend all of your time looking back at, at what Christ has done? And it's good. We need to be aware of all that Christ has accomplished for us. But do you fail to look ahead to the future, to his glorious return? Again, we need to do both. We need to see both incarnations and to, to celebrate and to anticipate both well, the, the second incarnation. Jesus must suffer and his disciples must follow in his footsteps. All of Christ's disciples will suffer Jesus on the road of suffering. The first disciples died without seeing the full realization of the kingdom of God. And so might we. The first disciples saw the already of the kingdom, but the not yet. We too have seen the already of the kingdom, but not the not yet. We're still waiting almost 2,000 years later and we are still waiting. As Luke 20, 17, 20, 21 suggests, the kingdom has come. And in 22 to 25 and on to verse 37, make clear there is still more to come. As was true during the first incarnation, in Jesus, the kingdom is in our midst. You must respond to the king. This was the, the call with, the, with the, the one leper. He's the only one, the one healed leper is the only one who responded to the king. Have you responded to the king? Will you respond to King Jesus? If you can't see the king and, and you can't see the kingdom, you need to be born again. Again, John 3, 3. You need to be born again. You need to be regenerated. 
need God to do a work in your heart. Brothers and sisters, we rejoice in the truth of Colossians 1.13, that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Have you been delivered? Are you a citizen of the kingdom of God? Are you looking forward to the consummation of the kingdom of God? Yes, look forward to the coming kingdom. Praise God as you you look forward to the coming kingdom. But also we need to, to remember that the kingdom of God is already here. Yes, eagerly anticipate that one day you will see the king face to face, but you can joyfully celebrate that you know the king now. The Lord Jesus came, and the Lord Jesus will come. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your incarnation. One of the greatest mysteries of the gospel. One of the greatest mysteries of all time. That God the Son took on human flesh. Lord, we marvel that you did this ultimately for the glory of God, but in that also for the salvation of your people. Lord, and those of us who have been redeemed through all that you accomplished in your first incarnation, your sinless life, and as you died a sinner's death, as as you were raised on the third day, and as you have ascended to the right hand of the Father, as those who have been saved through all that you have done. Lord, we long to see you face to face. We long for your return. Lord, we long to see your glory. We long to see your justice reign. Lord, we pray, the Apostle John, come, Lord Jesus. 